Introduction Part 4 of Commentary in the Gospel of John Book 12 by Cyril of Alexandria Translated by Rev. Thomas Randall This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 19. And Pilate wrote a title also, and put it on the cross, and there was written, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This is, in fact, the bond against us which, as the inspired Paul says, the Lord nailed to his cross, and in it led in triumph the principalities and the powers as vanquished, and as having revolted from his rule. And if it were not Christ himself that fixed the title on the cross, but the fellow-worker and minister of the Jews, still, as he suffered it so to be, it is as though he were recorded as having inscribed it with his own hand. And he triumphed over principalities in it. For it was open to the view of all who chose to learn, pointing to him who suffered for our sake, and who was giving his life as a ransom for the lives of all. For all men upon the earth, in that they have fallen into the snare of sin, for all have gone aside, and have altogether become filthy, according to the scripture, had made themselves liable to the accusation of the devil, and were living a hateful and miserable life. And the title contained a handwriting against us, the curse that, by the divine law, impends over the transgressors, and the sentence that went forth against all who erred against those ancient ordinances of the law, like unto Adam's curse, which went forth against all mankind, in that all alike broke God's decrees. For God's anger did not cease with Adam's fall, but he was also provoked by those who after him dishonored the Creator's decree and the denunciation of the law against transgressors was extended continuously over all. We were, then, accursed and condemned by the sentence of God through Adam's transgression, and through breach of the law laid down after him. But the Saviour wiped out the handwriting against us by nailing the title to his cross, which very clearly pointed to the death upon the cross which he underwent for the salvation of men who lay under condemnation. For our sake he paid the penalty for our sins. For though he was one that suffered, yet was he far above any creature, as God, and more precious than the life of all. Therefore, as the psalmist says, the mouth of all lawlessness was stopped, and the tongue of sin was silenced, unable any more to speak against sinners. For we are justified, now that Christ has paid the penalty for us. For by his stripes we are healed, according to the scripture. And just as by the cross the sin of our revolt was perfected, so also by the cross was achieved our return to our original state, and the acceptable recovery of heavenly blessings. Christ, as it were, gathering up into himself, for us, the very fount and origin of our infirmity. 20. This title therefore read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and in Latin and in Greek. 
we may remark that it was very providential and the fruit of god's inexpressible purpose that the title that was written embraced three inscriptions one in hebrew another in latin and another in greek for it lay open to the view proclaiming the kingdom of our saviour christ in three languages the most widely known of all and bringing to the crucified one the first fruits as it were of the prophecy that had been spoken concerning him for the wise daniel said that there was given him glory and a kingdom and all nations and languages shall serve him and to like effect the holy paul teaches us crying out that every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth and every tongue shall confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father therefore the title proclaiming jesus king was as it were the true first-fruits of the confession of tongues and in another sense it accused the impiety of the jews and all but proclaimed expressly to those who congregated to read it that they had crucified their king and lord purblind wretches that they were without thought of love toward him and sunk in crass insensibility twenty one twenty two the chief priest of the jews therefore said to pilate write not the king of the jews but that he said i am king of the jews pilate answered what i have written i have written the rulers of the jews took ill the writing on the title and full of bitter hatred once more denied the kingship of christ and said in their great folly that he had never reigned in fact nor been accepted as king but had merely used this expression not knowing that to lie is contrary to the nature of truth and christ is truth he was then king of the jews if he was proved to have given himself this title as they themselves also confirmed by their own words and pilate rejected their request that he should alter the inscription not consenting in all things to do despite unto the glory of our saviour doubtless owing to god's ineffable will for the kingship of christ was firmly rooted and beyond the reach of calumny though the jews might not consent thereunto and might strive to deface the confession of his glory twenty three twenty four the soldiers therefore when they had crucified jesus took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part and also the coat now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout they said therefore one to another let us not rend it but cast lots for it whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled which saith they parted my garments among them and upon my vesture did they cast lots these things therefore the soldiers did the soldiers then divided our saviour's garments among themselves and this is indicative of their brutal ferocity and inhuman disposition for it is the custom of executioners to be unmoved by the misery of condemned criminals and to obey orders sometimes with unnecessary harshness and to show a masculine indifference to the fate of the sufferers and to divide their garments among themselves 
as though the lot fell upon them by some sufficient and lawful reason. They divided, then, the dissevered garments into four portions, but kept the one coat whole and uncut, for they did not choose to tear it in pieces and make it altogether useless, and so they decided it by casting lots. For Christ could not lie, who thus spake by the voice of the psalmist, they divided my raiment among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. All these things were foretold for our prophet, that we might know, by comparing the prophecies with the events, what he is of whom it was foretold, that he should come for our sake and our likeness, and of whom it was expected that he should die for the salvation of all men. For no man of sense can suppose that the Saviour himself, like the foolish Jews, would strain out the gnat, that is, foretell a trifling detail concerning his sufferings, as in this mention of the partition of his raiment, and, as it were, swallow the camel, that is, think of no account the great lengths to which the impious presumption of the Jews carried them. Rather, when he foretold these details, he foretold also the great event itself. Firstly, in order that we might know that, as he was by nature God, he had perfect knowledge of the future. Secondly, also, that we might believe that he was in fact the Messiah of prophecy, being led to the knowledge of the truth by the many and great things fulfilled in him. And if it behoves us also to declare another thought which strikes us with regard to the partition of the garments, a thought which can do no harm and may possibly do good to those who hear it, I will speak as follows. Their division of the Saviour's garments into four parts, and retention of the coat in its undivided state, is perhaps symbolical of the mysterious providence whereby the four quarters of the world were destined to be saved. For the four quarters of the world divided, as it were, among themselves the garment of the word, that is, his body, which yet remained indivisible. For though the only begotten be cut into small pieces, so far as individual needs are concerned, and sanctify the soul of every man, together with his body, by his flesh. Yet is he, being one, altogether subsistent in the whole church in indivisible entirety. For, as St. Paul saith, Christ cannot be divided. That such is the meaning of the mystery concerning him, the law dimly shadows forth. For the law represented the taking of a lamb at the fitting time, and the taking not of one lamb for every man, but of one for every house, according to the number of the household. For every man, if his household were too small, was to join with his neighbor that was next unto his house. And so the command was, that many should have a part in one lamb, but in order that it might not appear, therefore, to be physically divided, by the flesh being dissevered from the bones, and taken from house to house, the law laid down the further injunction. In one house shall it be eaten, ye shall not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house. For observe how, as I said just now, 
the law took care that many who might be in one household should have a part in one lamb but most carefully also took great precautions that it should not appear physically divided but should be found in its completeness and entirety as one in all who partook of it being at the same time divisible and indivisible we must entertain some such view with regard to christ's garments for they were divided into four portions but the coat remained undivided and it can do no harm also to add that if any man choose by way of speculation to look upon the coat that was woven from the top throughout and seamless as an illustration of christ's holy body because it came into being without any connection or intercourse of man with woman but woven into its proper shape by the effective working of the spirit from above this view is worthy of our acceptance for such speculations as do no damage to the elements of the faith but are rather fertile of profit it would surely be ill-advised for us to reject nay we ought rather to commend them as the fruit of an excellent disposition of mind twenty five but there were standing by the cross of jesus his mother and his mother's sister mary the wife of clopas and mary magdalene this also the inspired evangelist mentions to our prophet showing herein also that none of the words of holy writ fall to the ground what do i mean by this i will tell you he represents as standing by the cross his mother and with her the rest clearly weeping for women are ever prone to tears and very much inclined to lament especially when they have abundant occasion for shedding tears what then induced the blessed evangelist to go so much into detail as to make mention of the women as staying beside the cross his object was to teach us that as was likely the unexpected fate of our lord was an offence unto his mother and that his exceeding bitter death upon the cross almost banished from her heart due reflection and besides the insults of the jews and the soldiers also who probably stayed by the cross and derided him who hung thereon and who presumed in his mother's very sight to divide his garments among themselves had this effect for doubtless some such train of thought as this passed through her mind i conceived him that is mocked upon the cross he said indeed that he was the true son of almighty god but it may be that he was deceived he may have erred when he said i am the life how did his crucifixion come to pass and how was he entangled in the snares of his murderers how was it that he did not prevail over the conspiracy of his persecutors against him and why does he not come down from the cross though he bade lazarus return to life and struck all judea with amazement by his miracles the woman as is likely not exactly understanding the mystery wandered astray into some such train of thought for we shall do well to remember that the character of these events was such as to awe and subdue the most sober mind and no marvel if a woman fell into such an error 
when even peter himself the elect of the holy disciples was once offended when christ in plain words instructed him that he would be betrayed under the hands of sinners and would undergo crucifixion and death so that he impetuously exclaimed be it far from thee lord this shall never be unto thee what wonder then if a woman's frail mind was also plunged into thoughts which betrayed weakness and when we thus speak we are not shooting at a venture as some may suppose but are led to suspect this by what is written concerning the mother of our lord for we remember that the righteous simeon when he received the infant lord into his arms after having blessed him and said now lettest thou thy servant depart o lord according to thy word in peace for mine eyes have seen thy salvation he also said to the holy virgin herself behold this child is set for the falling and rising up of many in israel and for a sign which is spoken against yea and a sword shall pierce through thine own soul that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed by a sword he meant the keen pang of suffering which would divide the mind of the woman into strange thoughts for temptations prove the hearts of those who are tempted and leave them bare of the thoughts that filled them twenty six twenty seven when jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved he saith unto his mother woman behold thy son then saith he to the disciple behold thy mother and from that hour the disciple took her into his own home he took thought for his mother paying no heed to his own bitter agony for his sufferings affected him not he gave her into the charge of the beloved disciple this was john the writer of this book and bade him take her home and regard her as a mother and enjoined his own mother to regard him as none other than her true son by his tenderness that is and affection fulfilling and stepping into the place of him who was her son by nature but as some misguided men have thought that christ when he thus spake gave way to mere fleshly affection away with such folly to fall into so stupid an error is only worthy of a madman what good purpose then did christ hereby fulfil first we reply that he wished to confirm the command on which the law lays so much stress for what saith the mosaic ordinance honour thy father and thy mother that it may be well with thee his commandment unto us did not cease with exhorting us to perform this duty but threatened us with the extreme penalty of the law if we chose to disregard it and has put sin against our parents after the flesh on a par with sin against god for the law which ordered that the blasphemer should undergo the sentence of death saying let him that blasphemeth the name of the lord be put to death also subjected to the same penalty the man who employs his licentious and unruly tongue against his parents he that curseth father or mother shall surely be put to death 
as then the lawgiver hath ordained that we should pay such honour to our parents surely it was right that the commandment thus proclaimed should be confirmed by the approval of the saviour and as the perfect form of every excellence and virtue through him first came into the world why should not this virtue be put on the same footing as the rest for surely honour to parents is a very precious kind of virtue and how could we learn that we ought not to lightly regard love toward them even when we are overwhelmed by a flood of intolerable calamities save by the example of christ first of all and through him for best of all surely is he who is mindful of the holy commandments and is not diverted from the pursuit of duty in stormy and troublous times and not in peace and quietness alone besides also was not the lord i say right to take thought for his mother when she had fallen on a rock of offence and when her mind was in a turmoil of perplexity for as he was truly god and looked into the motions of the heart and knew its secrets how could he fail to know the thoughts about his crucifixion which were then throwing her into sore distress knowing then what was passing in her heart he commended her to the disciple the best of guides who was able to explain fully and adequately the profound mystery for wise and learned in the things of god was he who received and took her away gladly to fulfil all the saviour's will concerning her twenty eight twenty nine after this jesus knowing that all things are now finished that the scripture might be accomplished said i thirst there was set there a vessel full of vinegar so they put a sponge full of the vinegar upon hyssop and brought it to his mouth when the iniquity of the jews had fully wrought the impious crime against christ and when there was nothing left wanting to the perfect satisfaction of their savage cruelty the flesh at the last extremity felt a natural craving for it was parched by the various acts of outrage and felt thirst for pain is very apt to provoke thirst spending the natural moisture of the body in excessive inward heat and burning the inward parts with the pangs of inflammation it would have been easy for the word the almighty god to have released his flesh from this torment but just as he willingly underwent his other sufferings so he bore this also of his own will then he sought to drink but so pitiless and far removed from the love of god were they that instead of liquid to quench his thirst they gave him something to aggravate it and in rendering the very service of love committed a further act of impiety for in acceding at all to his request were they not assuming the appearance of affection but it was impossible that the inspired scripture should ever lie which put into the mouth of the saviour these words concerning them they gave me gall to eat and when i was athirst they gave me vinegar to drink the blessed evangelist john says that they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and so brought it luke makes no mention of anything of the kind but merely declares that they brought him vinegar 
Matthew and Mark say that the sponge was put on a reed. Some may perhaps think there is a discrepancy in the accounts of the holy evangelist, but no one who is right-minded will be so persuaded. We must rather try to search, and see by every means in our power, in what way the act of impiety was effected. The inspired Luke, then, disregarding the way in which the vinegar was brought, says, in brief, that vinegar was brought to him when he was athirst. And there can be no question that the evangelists would not have disagreed with each other in these trifling and unimportant details, when, in all essential matters, they are in such perfect harmony and concord. What, then, is the difference between them, and of what treatment is it susceptible? There is no doubt that the officers who executed the impious crime against Christ were many in number. I mean the soldiers who brought him to the cross. Several also of the Jews shared in their cruelty, some putting the sponge on a reed, others on a stick of what is called hyssop, for the hyssop is a kind of shrub, and gave Jesus to drink of it, doing this, purblind wretches that they were, to their own condemnation. For unawares they were proving themselves utterly undeserving of compassion, when they thus altogether discarded mercy and humanity, and with unparalleled audacity vied with each other in impiety alone. Therefore, by the mouth of the prophet Ezekiel, God thus spake unto the mother of the Jews, I mean Jerusalem. As thou hast done, so shall it be done unto thee thy reward shall return upon thine own head. And by the mouth of Isaiah, to lawless Israel, Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. This completed the measure of all the crimes that had been committed against Christ. But here, too, we may find a lesson to our prophet for hereby we may know that those who are of a God-loving temper, and who are firmly rooted in the love of Christ, shall wage, as it were, a ceaseless war with those who are of a different spirit, who will not, even to their latest breath, desist from raging against them, preparing for them severe temptations from every quarter, and eagerly devising every sort of thing that may hurt them, but just as the wicked cease not from troubling them, so also shall their courage be continually sustained. And just as their trials and the tribulation of temptation have no abatement, so also the blessedness of the saints shall have no end, and the joy of their state of glory shall remain for evermore, and world without end. 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When this indignity had been added to the rest, the Saviour exclaimed, It is finished, meaning that the measure of the iniquity of the Jews, and of their furious rage against him, was completed. For what had the Jews left untried? and what extremity of atrocity had they not practised against him? Or what kind of insult was omitted, and what crowning act of outrage do they seem to have left undone? Therefore rightly did he exclaim, It is finished, 
the hour already summoning him to preach to the spirits in hell for he visited them that he might be lord both of the living and the dead and for our sake encountered death itself and underwent the common lot of all humanity that is according to the flesh though being as god by nature life that he might despoil hell and render return to life possible to human nature being thus proved the first fruits of them that are asleep and the first born from the dead according to the scriptures he bowed his head therefore for as this generally befalls the dying through the slackening of the sinews of the flesh when the spirit or soul that united and sustained it is fled the evangelist made use of this expression the expression also he gave up his spirit does not differ from language usually employed for the vulgar use it as equivalent to his life was extinguished and he died but it is probable that it was of set purpose and advisedly that the holy evangelist instead of saying simply he died said he gave up his spirit gave it up that is into the hands of god the father according to the saying that he spake father into thy hands i commend my spirit and for us also the meaning of the expression lays down a beginning and foundation of firm hope for i think we ought to believe and for this belief there is much ground that the souls of saints when they quit their earthly bodies are by the bountiful mercy of god almost as it were consigned into the hands of a most loving father and do not as some infidels have pretended haunt their sepulchres waiting for funeral libations nor yet are they like the souls of sinful men conveyed to the place of endless torment that is to hell rather do they hasten into the hands of the father of all by the new way which our saviour christ has prepared for us for he consigned his soul into the hands of his father that we also making it our anchor and being firmly rooted and grounded in this belief might entertain the bright hope that when we undergo the death of the body we shall be in god's hands yea in a far better condition than when we were in the flesh therefore also the wise paul assures us that it is better to depart and be with christ end of introduction part four